The following story is certified grim for bodily mutilation and scenes of necromancy and may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello there and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a brother's grim tale. My name is Matthew Hughes and with me on this journey is my co-host Mr Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading... So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a Grim Reading. There was once a great war, and when it came to an end, many soldiers were discharged. Then, Brother Lustig also received his dismissal, and besides that, nothing but a small loaf of bread and four cruises in money with which he departed. Whoa. Okay, lots to take in there. What was it? Loaf of bread and some money? Cruise, cruises. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's a type of money. He's got four bits of money, and some, which I'm and pronouncing as cruises. Yeah, a loaf they've, of bread. they've come up before, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, he, and he's back from war. <laughs> Honey, I'm back from war. <laughs> oh, lovely. What did you bring me? <laughs> St. Peter had, however, placed himself in his way in the shape of a poor beggar. And when Brother Lustig came up, he begged alms of him. Brother Lustig replied, Dear beggar, what am I to give you? I've been a soldier and have received my dismissal and have nothing but this little loaf of bread and four cruises of money. When that is gone, I shall have to beg as well as you. Still, I will give you something. Thereupon, he divided the loaf of bread into four parts and gave the apostle one of them and a cruiser likewise. St. Peter thanked him, went onwards and threw himself again in the soldier's way as a beggar but in another shape. Triangle. And when he came up, begged a gift of him as before. Brother Lustig spoke as he had done before and gave him a quarter of the loaf and one cruiser. St. Peter thanked him and went onwards, but for the third time placed himself in another shape as a beggar on the road and spoke to Brother Lustig. Brother Lustig gave him also a third quarter of bread and the third cruiser. St. Peter thanked him and Brother Lustig went onwards and had but a quarter of a loaf and only one cruiser left. So he's been scammed, basically. By St. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's now got 75% of his pay uh, packet. Uh, but what a lovely guy Lustig is. Right. What a lovely guy. Absolutely. That's very sweet and generous and uh, sharing of him. With that, he went to an inn, ate the bread, and ordered one cruiser's worth of beer. So that's it. He's had everything. <laughs> now he's bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> Where, when he had had it, he journeyed onwards... And then St. Peter, who had assumed the appearance of a discharged soldier, met and spoke to him thus. Good day, comrade. Can you not give me a bit of bread and a cruiser to get a drink? Where am I to procure it? answered Brother Lustig. I have been discharged, and I got nothing but a loaf of bread and four cruisers in money. I met three beggars on the road, and I gave each of them a quarter of my bread and one cruiser. The last quarter I ate in the inn, and had a drink with the last cruiser. Now my pockets are empty. And if you also have nothing, we can go a-begging together. No, answered St. Peter, we need not do that. I know a little about medicine, and will soon earn as much as I require by that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Indeed, said Brother Lustig, I know nothing of that, so I must go and beg alone. Just come with me, said St. Peter, and if I earn anything, you shall have half of it. All right, said Brother Lustig, and so they went away together. What? 
Are you keeping up with me? Well, I think so, but I mean, I'm not really sure because I think what just happened was he said yeah. we could beg together, and then he's like, oh, "Don't worry about me. I've got medical experience. Um, if you just come with me, you you can take half my earnings." Yeah, but yeah. He's not asking him to do anything for that. No. Nope. Right. Okay. Weird. And this is St. Peter as well, yes. who had also appeared as three beggars. Yeah. And now he's in his okay. fourth incarnation, the <laughs> other discharged soldier. Which is very hard to say, discharged soldier. Discharged soldier. Yeah, that's very difficult. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> okay, so they're off. Then they came to a peasant's house, inside which they heard loud lamentations and cries. So they went in, and there the husband was lying sick unto death, and very oh, near no. his end. And his wife was crying and weeping quite loudly. Stop that howling and crying, said St. Peter. <laughs> said St. Peter. I will I'm make, trying to work here. I will make the man well again. And he took a salve out of his pocket and healed the sick man in a moment so that he could get up and was in perfect health. Wow. In great delight, the man and his wife said, How can we reward you? What shall we give you? But St. Peter would take nothing. And the more the peasant folks offered him, the more he refused. Brother Lustig, however, nudged St. Peter and said, Take something. Sure enough, we're in need of it. At length, the woman brought a lamb and said to St. Peter that he really must take that, but he would not. Then Brother Lustig gave him a poke in the side and said, Do take it, you stupid fool. We're in great want of it. Then St. Peter said at last, Well, I will take the lamb, but I won't carry it. If you will insist on having it, you must carry it. That is nothing, said Brother Lustig. I will easily carry it, and took it on his shoulder. Then they departed, and came to a wood. But Brother Lustig had begun to feel the lamb heavy, and he was hungry. So he said to St. Peter, Look, that's a good place. We might cook the lamb there and eat it. As you like, answered St. Peter. But I can't have anything to do with the cooking. If you will cook, there is a kettle for you, and in the meantime, I will walk about a little until it is ready. You must, however... <laughs> So he's I like, love you Peter. cook that, and I'm just going to walk about. Just walk about. <laughs> but on one condition, Adam. You must, however, not begin to eat until I have come back. I will come at the right time. Well, go then, said Brother Lustig. <laughs> he's sick of his business. <laughs> I understand cookery. I will manage it. Then St. Peter went away, and Brother Lustig killed the lamb, lighted a fire, threw meat into the kettle, and boiled it. The mm. lamb was, however, quite ready, and the Apostle Peter had not come back. So Brother Lustig took it out of the kettle, cut it up, and found the heart. That is said to be the best part, said he. No, it's not. <laughs> Nobody says that, Nobody Lustig. Says that. <laughs> Nobody said that. <laughs> but he tasted it, and at last he ate it all up. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, that's the one thing he said he wouldn't do, but he yeah. did say... He would be back at the right time. Well, he's clearly not, because mm. the right time is now. Well, maybe it wasn't, Adam. Maybe not. Maybe I'm missing the point here. <laughs> maybe it's undercooked. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the right time, eventually, St. Peter returned and said, You may eat the whole of the lamb yourself. I will only have the heart. Give me that. Then Brother Lustig took a knife and fork and pretended to look anxiously amongst the lamb's flesh but not able to find the heart. And at last he said abruptly, there's none here. <laughs> Where'd it go? <laughs> but where can it be? Said the apostle. I don't know, replied Brother Lustig. But look, what fools we both are to seek for the lamb's heart. 
and neither of us remember that a lamb has no heart. <laughs> oh, said St. Peter, that is something quite new. Every animal has a heart. Why is a lamb to have none? No, no uh, be assured, my brother, said Brother Lustig, that a lamb has no heart. Just consider it seriously, and then you'll see that it really has none. <laughs> think about it. Think about it. Well, it is all right, said St. Peter. If there is no heart, then I want none of the lamb. You may eat it alone. What I can't eat now, I will carry away in my knapsack, said Brother Lustig. And he ate half the lamb and put the rest in his knapsack. <laughs> they were- he ate half a lamb? <laughs> How hungry is this man? <laughs> That's a lot of food. <laughs> such a lot of food. They went farther, and then St. Peter caused a great stream of water to flow right across their path, and they were obliged to pass through it. Said St. Peter, You go first? No, answered Brother <laughs> Lustig. Y- you must go first. And he thought, If the water is too deep, I will stay behind. Then St. Peter strode through it, and the water reached just to his knee. So Brother Lustig began to go through also, but the water grew deeper and deeper and reached to his throat. Then he cried, Brother, help me! St. Peter said, Then you will confess that you've eaten the lamb's heart? No, said he, I've not eaten it. Then the water grew deeper still and rose to his mouth. Help me, brother, cried the soldier. St. Peter said, Ah, Then you will confess that you've eaten the lamb's heart? No, he replied, I've not eaten it. St. Peter, however, would not let him be drowned, but made the water sink and helped him through it. Then they journeyed onwards and came to a kingdom where they heard that the king's daughter lay sick and dying. Hello, brother, said the soldier to St. Peter. There is a chance for us. If we can heal her, we shall be provided for for life. But St. Peter was not half quick enough for him. Come, lift your legs, my dear brother, said he, that we may get there in time. But St. Peter walked slower and slower, (laughs) though Brother Lustig did all he could to drive and push him on. And at last they heard that the princess was dead. What? What? No, no, what? He's doing my head in, Matt. He's doing my head in. What, St. Peter's doing your head in? Yeah. Okay. So do you see what's happened there? So it's like, oh, they've heard that this uh, sick princess is dying. So Brother Lustig's like, come on, let's go rescue her and we're made. Yeah. And uh, so he's he's like pushing St. Peter. (laughs) He's just walking slower and slower. And now words got to them, Prince, the, the princess is dead. Yeah, well, that's no good. Well, now we're done for, said Brother Lustig. That is what comes of your sleepy way of walking. Yeah, too right. Just be quiet, answered St. Peter. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I can do more than cure sick people. I can bring dead ones to life again. Well, if you can do that, said Brother Lustig, it's all right. But you should earn at least half the kingdom for us by doing that. Then they went to the royal palace, where everyone was in great grief. But St. Peter told the king that he would restore his daughter to life again. It's a bold claim. Yeah, well, let's see if he puts his money where his mouth is. He was taken to her and said, Bring me a kettle and some water. And when that was brought, he bade everyone go out and allowed no one to remain with him but Brother Lustig. Then he cut off all the dead girl's limbs and threw them in the water. Um, no. Lighted a fire beneath the kettle and boiled them. And when the flesh had fallen away from the bones, he took out the beautiful white bones and laid them on the table and arranged them together in their natural order. When he had done that, he stepped forward and said three times, 
In the name of the Holy Trinity, dead woman, arise! And at the third time, the princess arose, living, healthy, and beautiful. What is that? <laughs> it's the spell. The spell being cut off her arms and legs, so she's just a torso with a head on a bed. Just picture that. Picture the boiled limbs, picture the bones, picture them arranged mm. around a torso and a head on a bed, and tell me that's mm. not weird. Pretty weird. It's pretty weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got a certified grim on our hands, Adam. <laughs> I think we do. St. Peter's just cut up a dead princess. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen every day. It does not. I'm loving but it, But she's, she's alive again. Oh, it's a miracle, Matt. Then the king was in the greatest joy and said to St. Peter... Ask for your reward. Even if it were half my kingdom, I should give it to you. But St. Peter said, I want nothing for it. Oh, you dumb fool, thought Brother Lustig to himself, and nudged his comrade's side and said, Don't be so stupid. If you have no need of anything, I have. St. Peter, however, would have nothing. But as the king saw that the other would very much like to have something, he ordered his treasurer to fill Brother Lustig's knapsack with gold. Oh, well, that's nice. He's like, oh, your partner who stood there and did absolutely nothing. He seems quite keen on it, so I'll... Uh... He seems very keen on a reward. <laughs> I'll give him some. <laughs> it was when you said to the king, St. Peter, no reward. And he went, oh, God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter! Shut up! I see your friend would like something. <laughs> St. Peter's like, ugh. Lustig. So they went on their way. And when they came to a forest, St. Peter said to Brother Lustig... Now we will divide the gold. Yes, he replied, we will. So St. Peter divided the gold and divided it into three heaps. Brother Lustig thought to himself, what craze has he got into his head now? He's making three shares and there are only two of us. Yeah, what's going on? But St. Peter said, I have divided it exactly. There is one share for me, one for you, and one for whoever ate the lamb's heart. Oh, I ate that, replied Brother Lustig, and hastily swept up the gold. <laughs> you, you. <laughs> Sucker, that was the easiest, easiest money I've ever made in my life. Oh, that was me, you idiot. <laughs> you may trust what I say. But how can that be true, said St. Peter, Ooh. when a lamb has no heart? Oh. <laughs> oh, he's got him there and alive. <laughs> Oh, nonsense, brother. What, what can you be thinking of? Lambs have hearts like other animals. Why should they only have none? <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> well, so be it, said St. Peter. Keep the gold to yourself, but I will stay with you no longer. I will go my way alone. As you like, dear brother, answered Brother Lustig. Farewell. Then St. Peter went a different road, but Brother Lustig thought, it's a good thing that he's taken himself off. He's certainly a strange saint after all. Then he had money enough, but did not know how to manage it. Squandered it, gave it away, and when some time had gone by, once more had nothing. What? Okay. Are you okay? Are you following? I should probably check in. Yeah, I'm following. I thought for a second that was going to be the end. It's not, is it? Mm, yeah, it, it could have been the end. It could have been the end. So, he's lost all his money, and he had nothing. Then... He arrived in a certain country where he heard that a king's daughter was dead. Oh ho, thought he, that may be a good thing for me. I will bring her to life again and see that I'm paid as I ought to be. Oh, he knows the method. So he went to the king and offered to raise the dead girl to life again. Now the king had heard that a discharged soldier, oh, that word again, <laughs> that <laughs> phrase again, 
was travelling about and bringing dead persons to life again and thought that Brother Lustig was the man. So words got round of what's already happened. Yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, great. Uh, but the king still had no confidence in him and he consulted his counsellors first who said that he might give it a trial as his daughter was already dead. Then, <laughs> Imagine that <laughs> conversation. I'm really not sure about him. Well, she's dead already. What's the harm? Yeah. He's like, I hadn't thought about it like that. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, there you go, stranger. It's such an un- unnecessary detail as well, <laughs> that whole bit of the king confiding in his counsellors. <laughs> then Brother Lustig ordered water to be brought to him in a kettle, bade everyone go out, cut the limbs off, threw them in the water and lighted a fire beneath, just as he had seen St. Peter do. The water began to boil, the flesh fell off, and then he took the bones out and laid them on the table. But he did not know in which order to lay them, and placed them all wrong and in confusion. (laughs) Stuck her legs on at the top. Then he stood before the bones and said, In the name of the most holy trinity, dead maiden, I bid you arise. And he said this thrice, but the bones did not stir. Oh, this is embarrassing. So he said it thrice more, but also in vain. Confounded girl that you are, get up, cried he. Get up, or it shall be even worse for you. When he had said that, St. Peter suddenly appeared in his former shape as a discharged soldier. He entered by the window and said... (laughs) He entered by the window? (laughs) Imagine that. He's like, oh no, St. Peter just climbs in through the window. Godless man, what are you doing? How can the dead maiden arise when you've thrown about her bones in such confusion? Dear brother, I've done everything to the best of my ability, answered he. This once, I will help you out of your difficulty. But one thing I tell you, and that is that if you ever undertake anything of the kind again, it will be the worse for you, and also that you must neither demand nor accept the smallest thing from the king for this. Thereupon, St. Peter laid the bones in the right order, said to the maiden three times, In the name of the most holy trinity, dead maiden, arise! And the king's daughter arose, healthy and beautiful as before. Then St. Peter went away again by the window. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bye! (laughs) Just flies off like Superman (laughs) through the window. (laughs) I just imagine climbing up the drain pipe, like... (laughs) (laughs) Shimmying up. And Brother Lustig was rejoiced to find that all had passed off so well but was very much vexed to think that after all he was not to take anything oh, for no. it. I should just like to know, thought he, what fancy that fellow has got in his head, for what he gives with one hand he takes away with the other. There is no sense whatsoever in it. Then the king offered Brother Lustig whatever he wished to have, but he did not dare to take anything. However, by hints and cunning, he contrived to make the king order his knapsack to be filled with gold for him, and with that he departed. Wait. He, what, he thinks he's found a loophole. So I think it's like, he's basically said like, I really don't want you to put gold in this knapsack. All oh, right. Whatever okay. you do, don't put gold in this knapsack, okay? And the king's like, I think like uh, he's, okay. so he's not, he's not actually asked him yeah. for anything, but he kind of has. Okay, smart, 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 smart. Well, when he got out, St. Peter was standing by the door and said, just look what a man you are. Did I not forbid you to take anything? And there you have your knapsack full of gold. How can I help that? Answered Brother Lustig. If people will put it in for me. <laughs> well, I tell you this. That if you ever set about anything of this kind again, you shall suffer for it. Eh, brother, have no fear. Now I have money. Why should I trouble myself with washing bones? 
What an amazing sentence. <laughs> that is a great sentence. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's all well and good, but I've got this money now. Why am I going to be washing bones? You stupid <laughs> muppet. <laughs> He's like, you have a good point there. Faith, said St. Peter, the gold will not last a long time. In order that after this, you may never tread in unlawful paths, I will bestow upon your knapsack this property. Namely, that whatever you wish to have inside it shall be there. Farewell. You will now never see me again. <laughs> Goodbye, said Brother Lustig. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to see me again. Bye. I'm not sure about the way that my characterization. No, is I, I think it's on spot point. on. I'm absolutely right, loving nice. it. <laughs> said Brother Lustig and thought to himself, I am very glad that you've taken yourself off, you strange fellow. I shall certainly not follow you. But of the magical power which had been bestowed on his knapsack, he thought no more. Did you, did you, did you caught what the magical knapsack is now? Right? I actually totally missed it. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so St. Peter's been like, oh, okay, you know what? That gold's not going to last you a long time, yeah. you, you idiot. You're going to end up in trouble again. Tell you what I'm going to do, just so that you don't end up breaking the law again. I'm going to give your knapsack a magical property. Whatever you wish to have inside it shall be there. Oh. So I'm turning your knapsack magical. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And you'll never see me again. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <So. laughs> now, Brother Lustig travelled about with his money and squandered and wasted what he had as before. When at last he had no more than four cruises, he passed by an inn and thought, oh, the money must go, and ordered three cruises worth of wine and one cruises worth of bread for himself. That is the right ratio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's got that right. Yeah. As he was sitting there drinking, the smell of roast goose made its way to his nose. Brother Lustig looked about and peeped and saw that the host had two geese standing in the oven. Then he remembered that his comrade had said that whatever he wished to have in his knapsack should be there. So he said, Oh ho, I must try that with the geese. So he went out and when he was outside the door, he said, I wish those two roasted geese out of the oven and in my knapsack. And when he had said that, he unbuckled it and looked in, and there they were inside it. Ah, that's right, said he. Now I'm a made man. <laughs> and he went away to a meadow and took out the roast meat. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Come on, brother Lustig. That's what he's wished for, is those two specific roast geese. And now he's just having a little picnic. Brilliant. <laughs> When he was in the middle of his meal, two journeymen came up and looked at the second goose, which was not yet touched, with hungry eyes. Brother Lustig thought to himself, One is enough for me. And he called the two men up and said, Take the goose and eat it to my health. They thanked him and went with it to the inn, ordered themselves a half bottle of wine and a loaf, took out the goose which had been given them and began to eat. The hostess saw and said to her husband, Those two are eating a goose. Just look and see if it's not one of ours out of the oven. The landlord ran over, and behold, the oven was empty. No. What? cried he. <laughs> you thievish crew, you want to eat goose as cheap as that? Pay for it this moment, or I will wash you well with a green hazel sap. The two said, We're no thieves. A discharged soldier gave us the goose outside there in the meadow. You shall not throw dust in my eyes that way. <laughs> the soldier... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> They're like, are you drunk? What are you talking about? Um, You're not going to throw dust in my eyes, all right? The soldier was here, but he went out by the door like an honest fellow. I looked after him myself. You are the thieves and shall pay. But as they could not pay, he took a stick and cudgeled them out of the house. Whoa. Brother Lustig went his way and came to a place where there was a magnificent castle. And not far from it, a wretched inn. He went to the inn. This is this is like a new adventure, by the way. <laughs> We've got going, another this story. Is, what is going on? This is it's a, the uh, it's the adventures of Brother Lustig. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> this is so good. Okay, a wretched inn. He went to the inn and asked for a night's lodging, but the landlord turned him away and said, "There is no room here. The house is full of noble guests." It surprises me that they should come to you and not go to that splendid castle," said Brother Lustig. Ah, indeed, replied the host. But it is no slight matter to sleep there for a night. No one who has tried it so far has ever come out of it alive. Whoa. If others have tried it, said Brother Lustig, I'll try it too. Leave it alone, said the host. It will cost you your neck. It won't kill me at once, said Brother Lustig. Just give me the key and some good wine and food. So the host gave him the key and wine and food. And with this, Brother Lustig went into the castle, enjoyed his supper, and at length, as he was sleepy, he lay down on the ground, for there was no bed. Are you up? To, are you following me? I think so. He's gone to an inn, spooky old castle over there. Innkeeper's like, don't go in there, no one's come out alive. And he's, and he's like, like well, oh, challenge accepted. Exactly. So he's gone there and he's now fallen asleep. But during the night, he was disturbed by a great noise. And when he awoke, he saw nine ugly devils in the room who had made a circle and were dancing around him. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to wake up. <laughs> Brother Lustig said, Well, dance as long as you like, but none of you come too close. But the devils, <laughs> but the devils pressed continually nearer to him. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, having a boogie. <laughs> and they were getting closer and closer and almost stepped on his face with their hideous feet. <laughs> stepped on his face. <laughs> Stop, you devil's ghosts. Said he, but they still behaved worse. I love the idea of devil's ghosts. Devil's ghosts, yeah. It's like the worst thing he can imagine. Like a, a ghost of a devil. It's a devil that's died, and now it's a ghost. And they're like, "Don't call us that. That's rude." <laughs> um, so he said, "Stop your devil's ghosts." But they behaved still worse. <laughs> Started doing the limbo, and then Brother Lustig grew angry and cried, "Ho! But I will soon make it quiet." And got the leg of a chair and struck out into the midst of them with it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but no, but nine devils against one soldier was still too many mm. and when he struck those in front of him the others seized him behind by the hair and tore at it unmercifully devil's crew cried he it is getting too bad <laughs> but just you wait into my knapsack all nine of you in an instant they were in it and then he buckled it up and threw it into a corner wow that was smart <sighs> I just love the it's like Oh, it's about to be a fight scene in the film. And it's just like, and he just rips the leg off the chair and starts to yeah. beat off the devils. That's so but I like it. But then some of them behind him are like pulling, yeah, pulling his, his hair. Yeah, pulling his hair. That's great. <laughs> After this, all was suddenly quiet. And Brother Lustig lay down again and slept till it was bright day. Then came the innkeeper and the nobleman to whom the castle belonged to see how he had fared. But when they perceived that he was merry and well, they were astonished and asked, have the spirits done you no harm, then? The reason why they have not, answered Brother Lustig, is because I've got the whole nine of them in my knapsack. 
You may once more inhabit your castle quite tranquilly. None of them will ever haunt it again. The nobleman thanked him, gave him rich presents, and begged him to remain in his service, and he would provide for him as long as he lived. No, replied Brother Lustig, I am used to wandering about. I will travel farther. Then he went away and entered into a smithy, laid the knapsack which contained the nine devils on the anvil, and asked the smith and his apprentices to strike it. <laughs> Smart. So they struck with their great hammers with all their strength, and the devils uttered howls which were quite pitiable. When he opened the knapsack after this, eight of them were dead, but one, which had been lying in a fold of the bag, was still alive, slipped out, and went back again to hell. <laughs> so he's got eight of them, and the other one's like, no, and escapes. Yeah, brilliant. he'd been hiding in like a crease in the bag, while the smiths were pounding like, on yeah. the anvil. Oh, that's brilliant. Job done. He's sorted out. He's sorted the castle. Yeah. He's sorted everything. It's like the exorcist. I mean, he's on fire. Yeah. He's, yeah. So it's all gone very well. And uh, thereupon, Brother Lustig travelled a long time about the world. And those who know them can tell many a story about him. But at last he grew old and thought of his end. So he went to a hermit, who was known to be a pious man, and said to him, I'm tired of wandering about and want to now behave in such a manner that I shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. The hermit replied, There are two roads. One is broad and pleasant and leads to hell. The other is narrow and rough and leads to heaven. Oh, I should be a fool, thought Brother Lustig, if I were to take the narrow and rough road. So he set out and took the broad and pleasant road and at length came to a great black door, which was the door of hell. Yeah, I mean, stupid decision, but there we are. Brother Lustig knocked. And the gatekeeper peeped out to see who was <laughs> I there. I love that. Oh, no. Is this... A Hello? Anybody in? Anyone home? Yeah, and the gatekeeper of hell poked his head out. But when he saw Brother Lustig, he was terrified. For he was the very same ninth devil who had been <laughs> shut up in the knapsack and had escaped from it with a black eye. <laughs> black eye. So he pushed the bolt in again as quickly as he could, ran to the devil's lieutenant and said... There's a fellow outside with a knapsack who wants to come in, but as you value your lives, don't allow him to enter, or he'll wish the whole of hell into his knapsack. He once gave me a frightful hammering when I was inside it. So they called out to Brother Lustig that he was to go away, for he should not get in there. <laughs> He's not allowed in, that's brilliant. <laughs> if they won't have me here, thought he, I'll see if I can find a place for myself in heaven, for I must be somewhere. So he turned about and went onwards until he came to the door of heaven, where he knocked. Yeah. St. Peter was sitting nearby as gatekeeper. Uh -huh. <laughs> Brother Lustig recognised him at once and thought, Here I find an old friend. I shall get on better. But St. Peter said, I really do believe that you want to come into heaven. Let me in, brother. I must get in somewhere. If they would have taken me in hell, I should not have come here. No, said St. Peter. You shall not enter. Then, if you'll not let me in, take your knapsack back for I'll have nothing at all from you. Give it here then, said St. Peter. Then Brother Lustig gave him the knapsack into heaven through the bars, and St. Peter took it and hung it beside his seat. Then said Brother Lustig, and now I wish myself inside my knapsack. And in a second he was oh, in it and in heaven. Genius! And St. Peter was forced to let him stay there. No way! <laughs>
story was incredible. Massive, wasn't it? Huge. Yeah, you enjoyed it. So good. Yeah, loved it. <sighs> meaty one. It's a real meaty one. Big old meaty. As I said, kind of like the adventures of Brother Lustig. Yeah. I love it when these stories actually have a proper, like, twist ending. That was M. Night Shyamalan yeah. worthy. He tricked St. Peter to get in. I love the fact that there's bars. Yeah, like the per, the pearly gates yeah, kind it's of got thing. Bars. And I love that like St. Peter's sitting there on a chair, yeah. like letting people in. Come Just on, in the hallway. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Oh, not you again. <laughs> Fine, Fine, I'll, I'll take, take the, the bag. bag yeah. Oh, it's genius. It's so good. That is a great ending. I totally agree. Oh, I mean, fantastic. we. I don't think we've had a big epic adventure story like that for a long, old not time. Not for a long time. Certainly not this series. I'd say. And what was amazing about this story was it felt like, you know, like a Bond film will like do callbacks <laughs> to previous Bond films. That's what this felt like. It was like, oh, it's the magic knapsack from the knapsack, the hat and the horn. Oh, it's the the strange place where you can't spend a night from the youth who spent, uh, went forth yeah. to uh, learn what fear was. That's yeah. not the name. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't even remember what it's called. I'm so excited. Oh, it was yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah, there were there were lots. Yeah, I guess if we're thinking of it as a grim universe, like there's lots of Easter eggs. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. So many Easter eggs because it's not really um, sort of just taking wholesale chunks of the narrative from other stories, no. is it? It's just like little bits. Yeah. Really, I mean that that bit with the devils was basically the story of the youth who went forth to learn what fear was, yeah. where he goes and stays in the haunted castle. And the like devils appear in the night. Yeah, exactly. And he that, just like yeah. fearlessly dispatches them. with them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, that was pretty similar. Also, the other similar thing was the not confessing to eating the lamb's heart. Right. Reminded me of Our Lady's Child, which was our yes. first episode of the series, yeah. where sh she just keeps saying no, you know, no, just I didn't. Just doubling down uh, on the light. Yeah. Exactly. And in this one, he just kept doubling down on the light. Yeah. However, I guess this kind of brings me to a point I was going to bring it up. Which is that in Our Lady's Child, she does eventually confess when she's pushed to the very edge. Yeah. And she keeps lying and she's about to be burnt alive and she confesses. The lesson being there, be truthful, be good, yada, yada, yada. But here, he lies and lies and lies and gets into heaven. Yeah. So, like, the moral message of the story is, like, all over the it, shop. It really is. I was going to bring this up. It so is. Because, because the whole thing starts... He's tricked by St. Peter and he loses his money, but through generosity to beggars. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So, we, so it's almost as if, oh, he's, St. Peter's trying to teach him a lesson because he's squandering his money. He's giving it to the poor and needy. And then yeah. St. Peter will do a complete 180 on his lessons by trying to teach him that he should never, ever take payment for doing a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What is that all about? I just don't understand what the story is trying to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I feel like a normal story is like you'd have a greedy person who learns to be generous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is like, my first thought was that it's the other way around. It's yeah. like you have a really generous person who learns to become greedy by hanging out with a saint. Yeah. It's like a reverse Scrooge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So then you think, okay, so he's become greedy, so then, you know, it's going to end badly. But no, he then no. gets into heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I kind of think it's maybe a bit more subtle than that, because as you say, it's like, he's he's generous, but also greedy, like, at the same time yeah. throughout the whole story. So he's generous at the beginning, but he's also generous later with the journeyman. He gives them one of his geese. 
So yeah, it's yeah. not like he becomes worse. No. It's like he's just this sort of like uh, oxymoron in a yeah. way. It kind of just like, I don't know, it defies the rules of storytelling to me. It's like we're looking for <laughs> like normal patterns that you'd find in a story and they're just not there. And it, so I thought, is this like a piece of like moral philosophical genius or is it just a mess? Well, it I could don't be. Know. Or it could be know. like just a really sophisticated piece of narrative where it doesn't have the sort of heavy-handed moralizing of a fair, yeah. of a normal fairy tale but instead yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like mm. let's display true human behavior you know human beings act in messy ways they don't follow a, a neat trajectory they will go back and forth morally and mm. otherwise maybe yeah. it's just really sophisticated like that i don't know it could be but i do think it keeps sort of Throughout the whole story, it's alluding to morals. Yeah. Because you could just have Brother Lustig going through on an adventure on his own. But by having St. Peter there, who's kind of like challenging him, telling him he shouldn't do this, should do that, catching him in a lie. It is adding that moral element into it. It is. So it's very odd that it's so inconsistent the (laughs) whole way through. And then I don't know about you, but I was kind of like, I wasn't sure where it was going to go. I was like, is this going to end badly? No, he, he ends up in heaven. Yeah. Through tricking the saint, which is just, you never would have guessed yeah. in a million years. No, no, absolutely. That was so, a shock ending. Yeah. And actually, I would <laughs> ask you, if you had to pick a side yeah. in this story, whose side are you on? Yeah. I, I, think, I think I know what you'd say. Yeah, you know what I would say. <laughs> but I kind of like them almost as like a kind of buddy road movie yeah strange like you've mismatched double act yeah yeah exactly (laughs) they were like constantly bickering on their (laughs) travels together and you kind of yeah so that relationship i like i suppose so i'm not sure whose side i'm on but i mean i guess you know the hero the hero in inverted commas of the story is uh brother lustig i suppose and we cheer when he gets into heaven yeah absolutely i really did because he kept being tricked like, what is that about the, the... So he promised him half of uh, what, what he's going to earn. Like, mm. he didn't ask for that. He didn't, like, you know, weasel his way into his world. He was offered mm. that, and he was like, fair enough, that sounds like a good deal. And then St. Mm. Peter's like, ha, 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 half of nothing is nothing. <laughs> and then he's... So he's like, wait, I thought I was supposed to be getting paid here. He finally gets this lamb. He says, oh, I'll cook it, and then... So Peter's like, oh, I'll come back at the exact right moment. Don't eat it before I come back, but I'll be yeah. back at the right moment. He cooks it. It's ready to eat. He's not back. Mm. So he didn't come back yeah. at the right moment. He keeps being stitched up. <laughs> but I mean, is that why it's a sort of moral philosophical genius, yeah, the story? Because it's like, I'll be back at the right moment. And maybe the right moment is after he's eaten the heart. So he Because can... then the test begins. Yeah, maybe. Well, this is our second time meeting St. Peter. Yes. Uh, um, Gambling Man. Gambling Hansel was our first time we met him. Yes, I couldn't think of his name. Uh, So that was episode 42 of uh, Grim Reading. We did Gambling Hansel. And uh, yeah, we met St. Peter and he's this like world-weary character who's like in both occasions like trying to keep order and everyone's just messing it up the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and actually this story is um closely related to gambling hansel they are they're next to each other in the collection oh, of, okay. of fairy tales okay. um and they are two stories where a character tries to outwit or get the better of god the devil or saint peter well this brings me to my main question really that i had okay did brother lustig know 
but it was St. Peter. Because, hmm. I don't know if you caught it, it seemed to pass you by, but at one point, when they part ways, when, when they've kind of got annoyed at each other, <laughs> yeah, um, fell out. Off, after the heart, uh, lamb, lammy thing. Yeah, uh, lamb gate. Brother, it says, then St. Peter took a different road, and Brother Lustig thought, it is a good thing that he's taken himself off. He certainly is a strange saint, after all. I did notice. I didn't say anything. I wondered if that was a sort of uh, a turn of phrase or something. Yeah, it's like a joke. Yeah. Like, the audience are like, oh. Yeah, you like, he, he's got so close to the truth, but sort of mm. too too silly to see it. I, I'm of the opinion he didn't know. Yeah. Because he he's, gets right to the end. He gets to the gates of, of heaven, and then he's like, oh, I know you. Like, that's how it came across to me. Yeah, he's like, no, you you. What the no, chart is a small same. world, isn't it? <laughs> well, I thought you know, depending on how on your reading, it changes kind of a lot of the story, mm. really. Because I thought, well, you know, if he knew, and he's done a little wink there, that's a strange saint, that guy. It kind of meant that he was playing with fire, right, the whole time, because right. he's he's constantly annoying St. Peter. And lying to him. <laughs> but, or did he therefore think, well, because I know it's St. Peter, you know, the best of the best, that he will ultimately protect me. You know, because I helped him at the start, he's going to he's going to. So he's like, he's, yeah. got, he's, he's getting a bit cocky and he's trying his luck. Or another reading, that might mean that at the very beginning, when St. Peter was disguised as a beggar, Brother Lustig knew it was him all along. Ah. So he gave him all of that, knowing that it was the saint who was going to like come and help him later, which means that it isn't morally ambiguous, which means that Brother Lustig's just a bad man. Doing the long from con. The start. Yeah. Whereas if it's no, he didn't know it was him, then, I mean, he was pretty sort of jammy, getting away with all that, putting the bones together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that could have gone very horribly wrong. And it could wrong. have done. Imagine if the king had walked in. <laughs> I've seen like, that. What uh, have you done? Or, yeah, or the other alternative is that maybe he recognised him at some point during the story. But I think maybe your your reading is right there. I feel like it is. I mean, know. if he really knew right from the start that that was St. Mm. Peter and he, and he knew that by doing what he did, he would mm. come out on top, that suggests to me that he knew he was in a fairy tale. Because that's fairy tale logic. <laughs> it's a very complex story with a lot of like um, sort of uh, nuts and bolts to it or like a lot of cogs. Yeah. And I guess if you sort of reconfigure them, it kind of changes everything else. So, um, yeah, but I guess that's the beauty of it. It kind of holds together however you look at it. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because it's accelerating at such a pace. You're not, you're not even thinking about it. I mean, it's jam-packed. You're just enjoying that relationship and just wondering what on earth is going to happen next. Yeah. 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 Nice. Oh, it's feeling like a hit. It's feeling like a hit. I mean, I don't want to speak too soon. We haven't got to that bit of the podcast yet, but wow, I love this no. story. We've got a way to go before we get there. Oh, okay. Buckle up.
I got in touch with our German language consultant, Lisa Marie, for help with pronunciation on the name Lustig, and also just to ask her, what does Lustig mean? Does it have any meaning at all? Well, it turns out on the pronunciation, in proper German, apparently you'd say Lustig, like with a K. Uh, you'd pronounce it okay. Lustig. Okay. Uh, but in everyday use, apparently, <laughs> Lisa Marie said if you want to be more native, you'd say Bruder Lustig, I think, something like that. If you want to sound more native, Adam, just call it Bruder Lustig. Bruder Lustig. Now, for obvious reasons, we just des- I decided just to let's just go ahead with Lustig. I think it's it's safer, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So that's pronunciation, just about. Uh, the meaning of the word uh, is interesting as well. Lust- lustig essentially means funny oh. in German. Uh, Rather funny. Lisa Marie says it's most commonly used when describing something funny or as a sarcastic remark. She says when you say, das wird ja lustig werden, that will be funny. And I also asked her, is this a name as well? Because in the story, he's called Brother Lustig. I said, is this a common name? And she said, regarding a surname, um, I've rarely heard it as a surname. We once had a children's TV show in Germany, uh, which is called Dandelion, with a guy called Peter Lustig, uh, who explained things to us. But I've never heard it as a surname, to be honest, apart from the fairy tale or that show. According to Google, the name seems to be popular in the US, though. So it is a name. But not a very common one. So there are some lustigs out in the US. But it's interesting that it means funny, yeah. I thought, because does that change the the story, how the story lands? Because for a German audience, they'd know that, presumably, that it's kind of called Brother Funny. <laughs> so well, <this> is, <laughs> Brother Funny is a different kind of story. That is a very different story. But I, yeah, I get it. It's one of those tales that we've read that you can see being it's it hits the beats of a comedy i think Mm. um like there's an element of farce to it there is but there's also a kind of darkness to it as well that i quite like i have to say yeah absolutely i think it's not just sort of screwball it's a black comedy it's got some (laughs) it's a black comedy yeah there we go there we go Now, I think the most interesting thing I found about this story uh, and its place in the collection of fairy tales is actually what isn't here. So this is story, Brother Lustig is story 81 in the collection of the Grimm's fairy tales. And it replaced another story, a story called The Smith and the Devil. Now, this was a much shorter story that essentially used the like devil in the sack device. Right. And it doesn't have any of the other stuff. Now, there's been some very interesting research into the Smith and the Devil in recent years. Some research that I think will be of great interest to us. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the story first, Mm -hmm. and then we'll look look a bit more into that. Okay. So, this is uh, the Smith and the Devil, which was the story in the Grimm's Fairy Tale collection that was erased and replaced with Brother Lustig. Got it? Does that make sense? I think so. We're on the same page. Yes. So, I'm now going to tell you a quick version The Smith and the Devil. Fantastic. The Smith and the Devil. There was once a happy blacksmith, but he squandered his money and got sued, and his finances were a mess, and eventually he was left destitute. Oh, dear. So he went to the woods to hang himself. Oh. Yeah. So he's got the noose around his neck, but just then a mysterious man appeared, and he said, just pop your name in my book here, and uh, 
for 10 years, you'll have a fantastic life. But after 10 years, you're mine and I'm going to come get you. And the smith said, who are you? He said, I'm the devil. Whoa. And the smith said, well, what can you do? And the devil said, I can make myself as big as a fir tree or as small as a mouse. And the smith said, all right, go on, then prove it. So the devil does. He makes himself as big as a fir tree and as small as a mouse. The smith was impressed and said, okay, sure. And he wrote his name in the devil's book. <laughs> and the devil said, nice doing business with you. Now go home and you'll find chests full of gold and jewels and riches that will never end. So that's exactly what happened. The smith went home and he just had a fantastic time. Brilliant life. The years were going by. Yeah. And at some point the devil visited him and said, you know, how are you getting on? Looks like you're having fun. This is, you know, this is like about five years in, say. Uh, devil's just popped around, that starts partying with him and his entourage or whatever. Yeah. And then at some point the devil's gonna leave and he says, you know what, blacksmith, I'm gonna give you uh, a gift. Here's a leather sack and whoever, whatever you command into it will be compelled in and can't get out until you say. Well, we've heard that. Mm. Now, eventually the 10 years expired and the devil came to claim the blacksmith. He said, come with me. The blacksmith swung the leather sack over his shoulder and followed the devil out. Now, at some point on the road, the blacksmith said, actually, I wanna make sure that you really are the devil. Can you do that thing again where you go as tall as a tree and as small as a mouse? And the devil says, oh, fine. And he grew as tall as a mighty tree and then shrank down to a little mouse. The blacksmith pounced, grabbed the mouse and stuffed him in the sack. He then picked up a stick and started beating the devil in the bag. Uh, and eventually he agreed to let the devil out if the devil gave him the book first. So the devil's like hand pokes out of the bag, <laughs> gives him the book. And the smith ripped out the page with his name. Oh, wow. Presumably saving himself and a load of other people, which was quite oh, handy. That, you'd, you'd hope that you were sort of, yeah, next to him on, on the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, he freed the devil who went back to hell in a half. So that's all good. But then many uh, long, happy years go by and eventually the blacksmith, he died of old age. Okay. And but before he died, he'd asked to have two nails and a hammer to put in his coffin with him, just like by his side. And he went off to the door of heaven and he knocked. But St. Peter was on the other side and said, no way, you were in league with the devil. You're not coming in. So the blacksmith went to hell but the devil said, oh, you're that blacksmith guy. You're not coming in here. And then the blacksmith got angry now. He's had enough of this. Yeah. And he starts hammering on the door of hell. <laughs> like, let me in. <laughs> uh, a little demon poked its head out of the bottom <laughs> to see what the fuss was. <laughs> What's going on here? And the smith grabbed him and nailed him to the door with one of his nails. What? The demons was like shrieking and screaming loudly. And so another demon poked its head out. Like, what is this? Smith grabbed him by the ear and nailed it to the door as well. What is he trying to do? <laughs> and the, then it's just a cacophony of screaming devils. And uh, the the devil appeared and he th and had a look. He's like, what's, all, what's going on here? And he thought, oh, no, not this blacksmith again. So the devil went to God and said, God, you've got to let him in heaven. He's going to ruin hell. I can't stop him. Please help. So then to get rid of the devil, God and St. Peter agreed to let this blacksmith into heaven. And the story ends, so Peter went to heaven, but we know not if the demons nailed to the door were able to free themselves. The end. What a bizarre little story. 
<laughs> why did he what yeah that just, ending's odd he was just causing chaos and they just couldn't deal with it yeah why did he ask for specifically two nails why did he nail them to the door nailing those demons <laughs> he certainly did <laughs> but like why yeah that last bit's a bit weird it's so weird but you can you can see how it's kind of like the you know putting the devils in the sack yeah and beating them yeah yeah until you kind of and the getting into heaven that's quite like brother lustig but the other thing it reminded me of is puss in boots mm, what am i missing there calculating. what am i missing he asked the devil to go as tall as a fir tree right. and as small as a mouse and then he pounced on him that's exactly what happened it in puss is, in boots it? he went to the ogre's house and uh the ogre i think it was an ogre is like i can make myself as big as an elephant or as small as a mouse and then puss in boots is like oh i don't believe you go on then yeah. And then uh, he makes him as small as a mouse and then puts him to like, eat eats him or something. But why... Yeah. Okay, in this story, he's got the the sack. And it does the same thing that the, the knapsack in the in Brother Lustig does, right? Mm-hmm. You can just say, I want such and such to be in the sack and it's in the sack. Why, yeah. when he tricks the devil and it goes as small as a mouse, doesn't yeah. he use that instead of grabbing him and stuffing him in the bag? Yeah, you're right. That doesn't really make sense, does it? Yeah, I suppose the sort of like the details of it don't really hold together. No. Don't quite work. But regardless of that, this is a common folk story found around the world. Uh, that was the Grimm's version of it, but it kind of comes in other iterations where essentially like a smith makes a pact with a malevolent being. Right. And it's not always the devil. Sometimes it's death or a genie or a demon. Um, and then he tricks them out of being in the pact. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the source for the Smith and the Devil was Marie Hassenflug, and in their notes, the Grimms make mention of the many, many versions of this story they had found in German works and in other parts of Europe. But still, they did erase it, and perhaps we can speculate uh, that's because it wasn't German enough, uh, and, you know, they'd found evidence of it elsewhere. But for whatever reason it was, after the first edition, they relegated the Smith and the Devil to the annotations underneath Gambling Hansel. Wow. So they recount this story in the notes on Gambling Hansel. Okay. And, you know, in a way they kept it as part of uh, Brother Lustig as yeah, well. Yeah, because it's, it's some of the bare bones of that story. So it, yeah. interestingly, yeah, that shows the linkage then to, to yeah. Gambling Hansel, to this story and to Brother Lustig. All yeah, together. I think they're a little trio. Yeah. But if the Grimms were still around, Adam, they'd probably be kicking themselves. Oh, yeah. Because they had no idea how popular or important the Smith and the Devil is. Recent research suggests that The Smith and the Devil is one of the oldest stories in existence, up to 6,000 years old. This central idea of making a deal with the devil, essentially, and then escaping it, can be traced back to the Bronze Age. So this is before uh, Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, before even the invention of writing. Whoa. This is from a 2016 study published in the Royal Society Open Science Journal. It was conducted by anthropologist Jamie Terrani of Durham University and folklorist Sara Grasser de Silva from New University of Lisbon. So they purport, Adam, that we can accurately trace back many fairy tales thousands of years, including Rumpelstiltskin, Jack and the Beanstalk, and The Smith and the Devil. Now, this was picked up by, like, the BBC and The Guardian and lots of other publications. It was, like, news, this research. Wow. 
Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'm going to uh, ask a very stupid question here. Go for it. How do you trace the history of something to beyond the invention of writing? Yeah. How does that you got work? it. That is not a stupid question. <laughs> okay, good. And that is a question I have as okay, well. Good. Because I tried my best to understand <laughs> the research and I don't. Right, okay. I'm going to be very upfront about that. Um, so I want to kind of share it with you. Yeah. But I don't understand much. <laughs> <laughs> Now, like, like in the like BBC articles or whatever, or like the Smithsonian Magazine had it as well. It's all it's obviously like from a press release, so it doesn't really go into detail. Okay. I tried to have a look at the actual research paper, but it was completely beyond me. I, so it, yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you what I understand, which is not much. Okay. So the methodology, like the approach to how they would do this, mm-hmm. was to apply phylogenetic analysis to folk stories. Now, phylogenetics is the study of evolutionary relationships among biological entities. Phylogenetic analysis is used in evolutionary biology to establish evolutionary trees. So it's borrowing a technique from biology, from like the natural sciences, okay. and then applying it to the folk stories. Right. But I, I, my understanding was that already phylogenetic analysis has been used in cultural studies uh, and including looking at like population movements over time. And this study of storytelling is related to the like tracing population movements using this um, biological analyzing technique. Right. Okay. So this is what I understand. So the researchers took 76 folk story types, say the Smith and the Devil as a folk story type, like deal with the devil kind of thing. And they recorded the presence and absence of these tales in 50 Indo-European speaking populations. Okay. So the Indo-European language family is like the largest language family in the world. So this is the idea yeah. that huge swathes of languages from Western Europe to India are all interrelated. So in the most rudimentary sense, the word mother is similar from Portugal to Russia to India to Iran. Yeah. So in German, Muta. In Farsi, it's Mada, Hindi, Man. You can kind of hear they're all interrelated. Yeah. Therefore, all these languages must have a common ancestor known as Proto-Indo-European, which is like the, la- the language that all our languages come yes. from. And lots of research has been done into like mapping language family trees of Indo-European languages. We saw in our biography episode of the Grimm's that Jacob Grimm made a big contribution to the development of this theory. With Grimm's Law. Grimm's Law. Does that ring any bells? Um, <laughs> yeah. New. <No>. Grimm's Law. <laughs> So they used uh, phylogenetic analysis uh, techniques, I guess, to map stories to language evolution and population movements over several millennia. I got the feeling that it's basically it's like incredibly sophisticated modeling, like probabilistic modeling based on the data that you have. Yeah. And I mean, really from there, it, it lost me. So I don't really understand like how the, the actual mechanics of the analysis work, if that makes sense. But that's kind of the, the idea of what they're doing. Um, and it's framed in the paper as part of the debate between were fairy tales an invented genre from the 16th century or are they ancient stories passed down by word of mouth? Mm. And this research suggests the latter. And I love that that was the Grimm's view back in the 19th century. Yeah that these are ancient stories, they reveal something about ancient society, and in a way, they're the oldest part of human culture that we have. 
And if this is true, then the Grimms have been vindicated. Wow. Because that was their idea. And the Smith and the Devil, in particular, is the oldest story that they found in the research. Right. 6,000 years ago. The Smith and the Devil can be traced back to Proto-Indo-European society, where there is archaeological and genetic evidence of massive territorial expansions by nomadic tribes from the Pontic Steppe, the northern shores of the Black Sea, between five and 6,000 years ago. Which just means that I've told you potentially the oldest story in human history that we know of. Dr. Tarani uh, is one of the researchers, is quoted, the Smith and the Devil is the one we feel absolutely confident as being a proto-Indo-European tale. What that means is the Smith and the Devil story was told in like a now extinct language. Wow. That is the kind of original language of all our languages. Crazy. That is crazy. And I guess I can forgive the fact that it didn't sort of make sense in the middle there. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I hope you can forgive me. That's definitely my fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. Now, it's obviously very clear. I, like, I don't really understand the research at all. And I kind of found that quite frustrating because it feels quite important in a way. Like, yeah. if this is true, then this is amazing. And also, I was just really desperate to understand it. So, I got in touch with Dr. Tirani one of the researchers and asked if he'd be interested in talking about the research and he's responded with an emphatic yes wow yeah this doesn't normally happen <laughs> i know no, this, this, this is rare <laughs> so what's going on here then well exactly that's what we need to ask dr tarani <laughs> so we're gonna have a chat with uh with dr tarani uh i think we're kind of like well, I'm just trying to set that up now. Okay. I'm not sure when it will be. I imagine there'll be at least another episode of Grim Reading out before we get to that. But uh, hopefully, yeah, soon we can get that sorted out. And uh, I'd just like to ask him kind of more about the methodology and how the research worked and their findings and other stuff. He's an anthropologist, I believe, uh, with an interest in folktales. So we can just have a chat. Well, I'm sure we've got plenty of questions. So, yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah, we'll just have to ask him to explain it as if we're children. <laughs> explain that's my like plan. Fight. No, wait, three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. absolutely loved it i mean it's a real corker isn't it it Great. is it's an epic up there with the greats i think that we've read wow excellent i really think that it's sort of not it it does touch on some uh you know familiar ground but it's also completely unlike anything we've had um mm. in terms of the weird relationship between these two characters and like <laughs> the really inconsistent moral messaging <laughs> but it's like, is it really badly made, or is is it like operating yeah. at a really, really high sophisticated that, level? That's the key question. Yeah, is it like di- completely disjointed, doesn't work, or does it just actually perfectly come together in a satisfying caper that has a load of, as you say, crazy stuff happening at a higher level? Oh, I'm tempted to lean on that 
the second, the second yeah. interpretation. It does work. It is a satisfying caper, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, and I I don't think it is disjointed. It has a lot of different ATU types. And I didn't really go into that, but you can kind of tell. Oh, you can tell, yeah. But this perhaps works almost more than the little peasant, where you can kind of see them, all the different building blocks yeah. are kind of quite <laughs> obvious. Yeah. But this one works maybe a little bit better. So I, I don't think it is too disjointed. I don't. It sounds like you don't either. No, I don't. I don't think it is. But I also, whether it's, you know, all over the place or genius, in a way, it almost doesn't matter because <laughs> regardless, it's a really, really enjoyable story. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whose side you're on, how you take the moral messages. It's just sort mm. of insane. Yeah, and I think, you know, often... And increasingly, of course, we will find similar stuff happening because yeah. you're just the folk stories, which are just reconfigurations of the same stuff. Yeah. So it just matters like, do you like the configuration it's in here? Is it working rather than is it novel? I think it's working. And also on the moral messaging, I don't think we've found actually in the Grimm stories that you get clear, consistent morals. No. And actually, if anything, like in the like Beauty and the Beast episode we did... Um, last time we see that you know we saw how the beauty and the beast story the second version was aimed at children with clear morals and that was kind of a new way of doing fairy yeah, tales yeah. because actually fairy tales aren't giving you a moral message and they are weird and confusing um, yeah i mean you have it's the, just the, the chanticleer and partlet trilogy which is just yeah. just <laughs> absolutely arbitrary random acts of violence yeah. so, so it's not weird to have ambiguous moral no. messaging i just think in this story they're bringing in the element of morals, aren't they? They're bringing in... Uh, it feels like it is trying to yeah. make a point whilst mm -hmm. flip-flopping on what that point is, <laughs> seemingly. But honestly, I loved it. And I'm toying with at least an 8.5. I'm always happy when you're happy. Yeah, I'm happy, man. I'm very happy. Do I go to a 9? That's the thing, am I thinking? No, that's crazy talk, is it? I think. Or is it? Well, it's this is up there with the best, I think. Do you know what? This is where I'm going to say, I'm going to break the traditions slightly and just say, what are you thinking? <laughs> that has never been a tradition. That was a self-imposed well, tradition. <laughs> I feel like Some... you're all too happy to let me flounder. <laughs> I'm really not. For years, I've been waiting for you to say, just, what do you, what think, do you Matt? think, Matt? That's all it would have taken. All it would have taken. Yeah. <laughs> um... You know, this is the nth time I've read this story, mm -hmm. but it still blows my mind yeah. every time. It's good. So it's it's hard to kind of, uh, yeah, but also my mind is uh, scattered. So it's hard to make sense yeah. of, of, to think sort of logically. I wasn't going to go nine. Often it comes down to how it, <laughs> how it goes down on the night and it went down very well. Oh, tonight. it did. I, I was thinking more in the kind of like, 7.5 to 8.5 yeah. mark. So I was probably going to land on like a 7.5 or an 8, okay. I was thinking. But I think if you enjoyed it that much, I'm willing to be convinced upwards. So if you want to go 9, go 9. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the old trick of then comparing that to other stories and trying to think what stories have I given a 9? No, no. Let that go. You've got to let, let that go. go. I've got to let it go. And, the, and if anything, our regrets are not giving high enough scores. Yeah. Sometimes not giving low enough scores, but this isn't one of those occasions. Okay, here it is. Here's my verdict. Because yes. I just remembered the <laughs> twist ending. 
It's a nine. There it's a go. nine, Matt. It's a nine. Excellent. Oh, such a good story. First nine of the series. Yes. So, you were toying between a 7.5 and an 8.5. What are you thinking now? I'm thinking 7.5, actually. Wow, okay. Um, I didn't convince you. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually had the opposite. <laughs> I'm going off it. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, I'm just wondering if in the cold, hard light of day, it doesn't hang together. Mm. Because now it feels like it really does, but there's a slight niggle in my mind. Um... I'm sure it does. My mind's screaming 7.5. I want to go 8, but my head's saying 7.5. So I'm going to go 7.5. And that will land with a nice 16.5 in total. Yes. And I like how you went with your head and not your heart. I did I did go with my head, not my heart. That's not like Interesting. Me. Yeah, 16.5. I think that's a nice score for that story. It's a, it's a very nice score. It's a very nice school that could be higher, but <laughs> there's nothing I can do about that. All I would say is go with your heart next time. Unless, of course, you're a <laughs> lamb. Because we all know <laughs> lambs don't, don't have hearts. hearts. You muppets. <laughs> well, uh, now it's time uh, to continue our patron shout-outs. So, yes... Following on from last episode, we would like to extend a big thank you to Fiona Care Sanders, James Blair, Susan Angles, Savannah Myers Gaines, Amy Dudridge, Barbara Bath, Hannah, Britt Mitchells, Brandon Rackicott, and Maya. Thank you very much to you all for supporting the podcast. It means a lot. A big, hearty, grim reading shout out. Welcome to Grim Castle. Thank you so much, guys. Well, it's been emotional. It's been exciting. It's been confusing. It's been yeah. epic. It's been heady, I think it is really the word. It really has. It's been a lot going on, a lot to digest. But uh, yeah, we'll be talking to uh, Professor Tirani, who will help us continue to digest this weird story <laughs> on some. But uh, I'm uh, imagining. When next we shall meet, uh, it'll be for our next Grimm story, which is The Six Swans. Oh, six of them. Yeah. Six, oh, six of those swans. It's not s- seven, no, six swans of laying. Six, <laughs> seven swans of swans. <laughs> Five gold rings. No, we, we're past Christmas. Uh, yeah, we've got to move okay. on. Okay, Christmas is over. One of the swans has died. <laughs> <laughs> now on to six swans. I can't wait the story of six ones and uh, until then keep it grim please keep it grim bye bye if you'd like to support the podcast please head over to patreon.com slash grim reading to find out how and also see the range of benefits available as a thank you from us you can of course email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com we're on twitter at grimreadingpod and we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Grim Reading. You can find us on Podbean, podbean.com slash grimreading. And we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim. <laughs>